morning. Good morning. How's it going? I mean, I'm all right. It's a nice sunny day. We're here. We're here. I'm, uh, I'm doing well, that thing. Let's say our names and then we'll talk okay, about some yeah. nonsense. Good. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to Are You There, God? It's Kira and Phil. And I am Kira Austin Young. And you are Philip Duvall. True story. <laughs> I, I, where do you where do you live and work, Kira? I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am the priest in charge of St. Anne's Episcopal Church. And I live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I am the rector of Church of the Redeemer here in Cincinnati. Pretty cool. Pretty, Pretty cool. cool. And, uh, um, you know, uh, I keep waking up before the sunrise these days. I don't like that. I don't. <laughs> Every time I wake up and the sun's like I've beat the sun up, you know. Every time I wake up and it's still dark, I I feel like I've I've I'm starting the day as a failure. Yeah, I have already you know, failed. I failed at sleeping. I um my my tasks in the morning include walking the dog, and that's mm. also my exercise for the day. And um, it has been a little bit difficult because my husband gets up later than I do, so I try to you know get dressed in the dark to go walk oh. the dog and have routinely over the last couple of weeks come home and found that my shirt was inside out. My oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. athletic leggings were on backwards. A hundred percent. This is true. It's not a good situation. So, so uh, last week or the week before I did a funeral mm -hmm. for a guy who actually died a year ago. And we did, we like the, they, we weren't ready to have the service yet. And so we worked with the family and we waited a little while and eventually we got everything the way they wanted it. And we had the service outdoors uh, in this beautiful fall weather. Um, mm -hmm. But anyways, so the the son of the deceased uh, got up uh, to speak as one, as one of the reflections or eulogies, whatever you want to call it. And um, immediately pointed out that he got dressed in the dark and was wearing two different suits. He was wearing the pants to one suit and the jacket to another suit. Oh no. <laughs> and they were different. I mean, they were different. It, yeah. He didn't look like he should be kicked out of his dad's funeral, but he definitely looked like a guy wearing two suits. Yeah. And, uh, but I was wearing a cassock and surplus, which to those of you who aren't into the, the, the religious craziness that we do, it's like the black Neo from the matrix black dress. Yes. Um, with a white, essentially dress on top of it. Um, so when I got up to speak after he sat down, I just said, you know, listen, Junior, because uh, he's like, who, who, so-and-so Junior. I was like, listen, I, I, just for the record, I'm, I'm, I got up and dr got dressed in the light and I'm wearing two different dresses. So, you know, you really are fine. Like you're in good company. Don't you're doing worry. well. Right. Good morning, Betsy. And good morning to everyone who's with us and watching. And good morning to everyone who's watching later or good afternoon, good evening, and good night. It's good to be with you all. Um, yeah. We're going to talk about money today. We are. You know, that notoriously um, popular topic. I feel like you picked this topic. I think actually you picked this topic. <laughs> did I pick this topic? I don't know. But I, did I? I mean, it's, okay. it's, here we go. Right. Well, you know, we're entering into this time in the church's yep. life that we often yep. call stewardship season yep. or our pledge campaign yes. or every member canvas sure. or I, what do you what do you call it at church of the redeemer uh well there's probably not a consensus on this because i've changed the language i call it annual giving 
Okay. Okay. I've moved away from the language of stewardship because I, I, I mean, for a number of reasons, but one of those pieces is we have a lot of ministries that fall into the category of stewardship. Yes. Stewardship is how we take care of our resources. Absolutely. And so uh, we have a list of ministries that would fall under stewardship that aren't particularly about you giving to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I'm, I, uh, like we have a, we have a, um, a, you know, a stewardship of God's creation and, and, or, uh, we sometimes call them the eco Um, yeah. that's a stewardship. <laughs> I like that. Our Absolutely. Community ministry is a stewardship ministry. Our, um, the way we take care of the, the buildings and grounds is a stewardship ministry. So mm-hmm. we're, we're careful about that. Um, one time I didn't get to see you at this point. I'm not sure if we were friends yet, but. I was down in Nashville for a, um, I, 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 I take classes on fundraising, mm-hmm. um, um, through there's a, there's a, um, for again, for those of you in, who are not that churchy, um, there's a, there's a, a, university of Indiana has a, its own special school of philanthropy called the Lilly school of philanthropy. And they have classes for, for, for nonprofits. And I took a class on, I've taken several classes on fundraising for nonprofits because the church mm-hmm. is a nonprofit that needs to fundraise. Um, I'm always the only clergy person there when I do it. Yeah. Um, there are people from, from sororities. There was a dude from, uh, from Pheasants Unlimited, um, uh, uh, from, the, from some folks from the Citadel, different, different sort of organizations all across the board. Um, some really cool, this one woman I remember that was from an art gallery in Detroit, super cool. But anyways, they talked about in fundraising life, they use the word stewardship as well, but they use it for, Mm. they don't say stewardship in terms of fundraising. Stewardship is the one thing they do that's not fundraising for their donors. It's basically the stewarding of the relationships they have with their donors. Hmm. So whereas we use stewardship to mean money, they use stewardship to mean the one time they're not talking about money. Yeah. Fascinating. (laughs) But the point was stewardship was about how you take care of your resources, how you take care. And, and in the case of nonprofits, uh, one of the main resources is the relationships that we built. Right. So I'm curious since, um, you know, you've, you've taken these classes and I actually, I, one of the most useful classes I took in my undergraduate was a basically nonprofit fundraising class taught by some of the development faculty at the university or development officers at the university, um, you know, talked a lot about just kind of basic tenets of making asks and all this kind of stuff. And I, you know, I, that class was now 15 years ago or so. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and, and I think about it a lot and I think it was extremely, it's been extremely useful for me to kind of have had that um, experience, yeah. but how and how, not is church giving or annual giving different from and similar to kind of fundraising for other nonprofits, would you say? Great question. Because I think um, a lot of people chafe at the um, at the language that maybe other nonprofits might yes. use about a donor base or- That's um, the biggest, that's the biggest difference for me is mm-hmm. that we are like every other nonprofit organization in that we need to raise money to operate, but yes. we are unlike any other uh, nonprofit organization in that we're oftentimes supposed to feel bad about it. <laughs> or like, or like it's embar- like it's embarrassing to talk about it. Um, or, or uh, I mean, any other, any other nonprofit organization has um, generally has a development wing 
um, at least several people, maybe just one, but they usually have a group of people who know what people give. And oftentimes in, in, I mean, like when I go to the music hall with the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, they will list the donors and what class yep. of donor they are. Mm-hmm. We would, we would never, and there are churches who've done it. We would never do that. We would never say, here's how much this person is giving. I think we right. frame your giving. Uh, and I think we're, we're not doing this strategically. I think it's real. Like our mindset is, um, this is about your spiritual relationship with God that is lived out in your community. Mm-hmm. So your, what you give is, is, um, is an extension of your, your, uh, your spiritual discipline. And so, uh, that's different than maybe someone who's giving other organizations. They're like their whole pitch oftentimes in many different ways is, do you believe this is a value added in the world and in your life? Mm-hmm. If you do, we need you to give. And yeah. we, we say that a little bit in the church, but, um, um, by and large, we kind of push more towards, uh, this is a part of your spiritual life. And I would say most of our colleagues uh, that I know of mostly don't talk about it. Like I'm, I'm, I think I'm in the minority for my willingness to talk about giving. And, and then you've got to be careful there because the last thing I ever want is for people to see me at my church and think that I'm looking at them with like a figure, a dollar signs. Yeah, in my dollar eye. signs in your eyes. <laughs> So, so I have, I mean, you and I probably both know um, colleagues, one of my mentors, when I came into priesthood, um, he literally makes a point of never knowing how much anyone gives. Mm-hmm. And then my other, I had like two kind of main mentors and my other mentor knows every single person in this church, what they give, um, uh, what, like what they gave last year, uh, what their schedule of giving is. He knows who he can go to if he needs more, et cetera, et cetera. So that I, I my two closest sort of people I've wa- been under are on the polar opposites of the spectrum when it comes to how they understand um, their their involvement um, with giving in the church. Yes. What about you? Where, was, where, what do you do with all this? Well, so there was um, actually a conversation happening online uh, about that exact thing. Like, should should you know as a clergy person? Should you not know as a clergy person? Right. Um, in full disclosure, I think there are very good points on either side. Oh yeah. I did not know at my first church. I do know at this church. Um, at not maybe not to the degree that your second mentor did um, in terms of like schedule of giving yeah. and stuff. Uh, but I do know kind of generally the patterns of giving at St. Anne's, like one of my, um, helpful treasurers when I first started referred to giving at St. Anne's as lumpy and that it is often not very regular. Like we get kind of lumps throughout the year um, because some of our larger givers give all at one time, either at the beginning of the year or at the end of the calendar year. Yeah. Um, Or sometimes in the middle of the year when they remember, like, you know, Uh, so it's, um, but I, I am personally in this particular circumstance, given my circumstances at my church and pro knowing, uh, who, who gives yep. and, and what they give. Yeah. Um, not because it affects how I care for people. Um, because I know similarly, there are people who maybe don't give a lot of money, but are extremely involved in the life of the church in teaching Sunday school and showing up every time, you know, the doors are open and, uh, giving in lots of other, other ways. And, um, certainly they are, 
equally, if maybe not more <laughs> so a valuable part of, of the community. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as we look at the future of the churches and particularly smaller parishes, you know, you've, you've got a lot of churches where like maybe 80% of their uh, giving is given by people who are say 70 and older. Yes. Like, what does that say about, you know, how, um, how long the church is going to be there? Yeah. You know, that's, those are, those are, I think those are important things to know in terms of, again, I'm going to use the kind of nonprofit language of cultivating a donor base. Yes. But like, of course, younger people might not have as much to give. They're not, you know, in a spot in their life where they can give more, but at least having developing the habit of giving. And they won't um, develop a habit if they, if no one talks to them about it. Right. Yes. And I am pro, um, my, one of the things I always say to my church around this kind of time and our annual giving campaign is that like, I honestly don't care how much people give for the yeah. most part. Like I want you to give if that's a yeah. dollar a month, if that's, yes. um, you know, it, I want people to fill out a pledge card because it is important to demonstrate like that you're putting your money where your mouth is. Like, even if it's not, even if it's not a big gift to develop that habit of making um, a commitment, making a financial yeah, making commitment. A commitment. Um, and, and, you know, every year and people kind of always say, well, I don't know, I have a job where I work on commission, or I have a job that I don't really necessarily know how much I might make in a year. And like, that's fine too. You can always give sure. more, you can give less. Like we right. don't, <laughs> right. we don't make the budget on the exact dollar amount that gets pledged um, because we know people move away or they die or, you know, have some kind of lose yeah. jobs. Lots of things can happen <laughs> in a year. And, um, but the important thing is that people pledge, uh, especially people who maybe haven't in the past. I think that we come, first of all, everything you said, I agree with. And especially like the thing of like, hey, I don't care if you pay. I mean, I literally got someone to pledge $12 a year. Yeah. I was like, and pay it right away and then you're done. And then, you yeah. know, you did it. Like, that's <laughs> fine. But I, because I want us as a line in your budget, because your budget is a moral document that states your values. And if your church isn't in there, then, you know, you're, you're not, I'm not saying that then you don't value the church. What I would say is then your budget is not aligned with your stated values. And, and we want our budgets to be aligned. I mean, I, this is, to me, it's the simplest thing in the world is like, what's the thing that we spend every month? What's the thing you spend as a person the most on? Like as a percentage of your budget, I would guess it's housing. Yeah, probably mortgage. Right, right. because shelter is the most important thing. And then the second thing you spend the most amount of money on is likely food. Mm -hmm. because shelter and food are very important. Yeah. So when you look at, when you look at where you, where you spend on these places and how you budget for them, these things matter tremendously to you. And so if your, your church is your community matters to you, then where does it show up? It's simple to me. It's not, it's not, it's not pay to play. It's not, you get, you, right. you got to give or I don't pay, or I don't, you know, I won't pay attention to you. And it's not, you got to give, you go to heaven. It's none of those things. It's literally like where, where does this community that matters to you shows up? Where does it show up in your, in, in the way that you spend with, with the knowledge that we are a literal organization with people that need to be paid and lights that need to be kept on and initiatives that we want to see funded. Yes. What, 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 when we, 
when I shifted towards believing in, and you can probably guess now that I'm, I know the numbers that people give and I talk to people directly about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that shifted for me because um, I believe, I believe in the mission of this particular church and I believe in the things that we're doing and I want to see us do them. Yeah. And, and I feel very comfortable talking to someone and saying, I mean, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. I always go into those conversations with like a little bit of trepidation because how could you not? Because yes. as I said, I never, ever, ever want someone to feel like I'm looking at them with dollar signs. Like I'm looking at them and thinking, mm-hmm. Ooh, you know, like that's never, or boy, that person could be doing, like, I don't want to come at them with any kind of judgment. That's never my angle. Um, I, I, I do, however, believe that we have very specific goals at our church and the people that I meet with have the capacity to help make those goals real. Yeah. Why would I not want to talk to them about that? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I love this church and I love the people in it. Why would I not want them to be committed to the success of the church that we all love? Like that's, that's where I mostly where I come at, at it. And, you know, you and I started hanging out talking about uh, abortion, yeah, right. <laughs> which, which I only say to say, I'm, I don't think that there should be any topic that we leave off the table. Yeah. Like we as Christians, what, what, what topic, but we come from a, our denomination is one of the denominations in America that in the 20th century was sort of like it's bread and butter was like, there are certain things better not spoken of. Like, yeah. I mean, let's, I want to maintain- say like, I come, I'm very culturally of a piece with the Episcopal church as a sort of waspy upper middle class, like yeah. person. And I grew up in a family that did not talk about money. Like yeah. we had it and we didn't talk about it. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so having to, it's been a, a lifelong learning process for me to start getting comfortable talking about it, not just in the, the case of a church, but in my, in my marriage, in yeah. my relationships yeah. um, with people. Uh, because it was such a, I mean, it wasn't that like there, it was forbidden from talking about it. We just didn't talk about it. Yeah, that's right. Have you ever seen the movie, The Aviator about Howard, uh, Howard Hughes? That's Martin Scorsese made? It has been a while. So he's, you know, he's rags to riches story. Yeah. And he starts dating Catherine Hepburn. Yes. And she brings him to the Hepburn estate, you know, in Connecticut and they're all hanging out and and they're at there. This there's a scene around the dinner table where they're all talking over each other and being the most clever, witty people possible. And and he's just sitting there, just sweating. He does not like this. Is not he wants to go build airplanes and make movies yes. and you know all that stuff. And it, and at some point he asks a question. Money comes up in the conversation. He brings money up about something, and they said, um, "Oh, we don't care about money." And he says, and he immediately just says, well, that's because you've always had it. Yeah. And they're like, what? And he said, you don't care about money because you've never had to care about money. But those of us who've had to care about money in our lives, we're willing to talk about it and understand it. So Mm -hmm. even the idea that we don't talk about that, it's not like you said verboten, but it comes from a place of like, oh, honestly, because it's there. It's there. Yeah. We don't really have to think about it. So, 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 and I think that's, that's got to shift. That's got to shift. Um, Mireya, uh, she says in our chat, I think people are more inclined to give to their church if they see their church doing good works than, than you want to pay to keep the lights on. And I think that's totally right. I mean, 
you, you, I think there's this balance, by the way, and, and I, I feel strongly about this too, in nonprofits, including the church, where mm-hmm. people feel like shameful about paying for overhead. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. You got to pay for overhead. Like, you got to pay for administrative costs, but you don't mind paying for overhead when you see the organization that you're giving to making an impact in people's lives. Right. In, in the church, that can be a lot of things. It can be a mission, can be how we, how we interact in our neighborhoods and what kind of impact we're making. Um, it could be how we, how we uh, uh, care for people in that way. Uh, and that should always be a part of a church. A big thing that church does, in my opinion, is it creates community. It creates yeah. a community that, that, that has, that, that is a centerpiece in people's lives so that they know that they're, that there's a space where they are loved and cared for, for who they are, not, not for who they're supposed to be, not for who they should be. And that's a worthy part of people's lives. Yeah. Well, I'm like, honestly, if you can't keep the lights on, then the tutoring group for at-risk students can't meet there, that's you right. know, a hundred percent. That's right. <laughs> We have oh. so many 12-step groups that meet in our building and um, in, in choirs and uh, scouting groups. And we have, um, we have housing uh, that's that w- prior to the pandemic, we haven't, this organization hasn't jumped back into this work, but they were doing this thing. It's called Interfaith Hospitality Network. And like people who are experiencing homelessness, families, families experiencing homelessness would literally be living in rooms in our church. Mm-hmm. So keeping the lights on for them is kind of a big deal. Right. Yeah, I know it's um, it's hard to. I, I mean, I I fall into this trap a lot because I do feel like a lot of our time and energy and money go to the building and the grounds and uh, and all of that stuff. And it's sometimes it feels like oh, just the ministry I could do if we didn't have a building. Yeah. But like we do ministry with our building yeah. and yeah. with our staff, and you know, it's not just the big the big flashy programs. It's the people that come to our door, you know, needing assistance and that we're able to help and that, you know, my parish administrator is able to step away from folding bulletins or whatever, and, you know, help somebody out with a bus pass or money for an ID or like, you know, that's all. We're such a weird organization, man. I know. (laughs) It's so weird. It's so weird. Why do you think people are uncomfortable talking about the money part? Do you think it's because they're worried that you'll treat them differently? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, here's the thing. There's another thing that happens in churches sometimes is people who um, believe themselves to give a lot kind of toss that around, you know, if they aren't getting their way sometimes. Yep. Um, and a friend of mine was telling me a story about her, her rector that she works under. And, um, a guy kind of came up and said, well, you know, I'm one of the big givers at this church. And I, you know, I'm, if I don't get my way, I'm going to take my money and leave. And the rector looked at him and he said, I give more than you. Right. I know how much you give. Right. You can, you can take that pledge. Like if that's what you've got to do. You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think, you know, there are places and this is, you know, this is true of just society and, you know, life under a a system where like money gets you what you want most of the time. Uh, if you have enough money, you can pretty much get whatever you want. That's true. (laughs) Whatever you want it. Um, and 
that sense of like, nobody, you know, you don't want to toss that around. You don't want to be seen, you know, throwing around your weight like that. Um, you don't want, there is this sense that like giving to the church is like a private matter between you and God. Yep. And I think Stanley Hauerwas has the right. Um, that's not biblical, but go ahead. What were you going to say? <laughs> what does Hauerwas say? Hauerwas, uh, his approach to giving is like, he lets the rector of the church where he attends know. I mean, he's like, you know how much I make it's published. You can look it up. Um, and, and you know how much I give and I want you to like, hold me accountable yep. for, uh, for, you know, tithing or whatever he's working towards yeah. in terms of his giving. Um, you know, so, I mean, cause that's the other piece, right? Like, I don't necessarily know how much people make, like what their salary is right. or that's what right. their assets are. That's right. Um, so I can't always say like this person could be giving more sure. or, um, and I don't want to, and I don't want to be in that place. No, unless, unless invited by Stanley Hauerwas. So to do right. like, like if, if a parishioner said, hold me accountable, I would, yes. but I don't want to, yeah. but that's not where I want to spend my time or energy. Right. I'm not like seeking out like right. people to kind of put the screws towards in like, yeah in being able to give, but I do know who the people are that like, if there's a special project who will usually pony up, yeah. you know, a thousand bucks to yeah. help make something happen. Um, yeah. And, and those are the good people to kind of have on, on speed dial, just like, <laughs> I don't, you know, yeah. the roof caves in or the HVAC unit goes out or right now, what, whatever, uh, whatever the thing mm. is. And I'm, I'm grateful to be at a church where we're a little less on a shoestring than my, my previous church. It's um, but one of the things that has happened recently in the life of my congregation is that we received a very large bequest that was not expected. We did not know it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so suddenly kind of found ourselves after a two and a half year long kind of court situation, <laughs> uh, slowed down by COVID and all of that. Um, but with, with a substantial chunk of change that will eventually become an endowment. Good. And this is provided a great opportunity to talk to people about planned giving and like, look what this kind of gift can do in terms of securing the future of this community, yes. uh, you know, long after yeah. you're gone. Yeah. Um, and I have like weird, I have weird feelings about money and the way you need money to make money and yeah. like this whole. <laughs> well, you've you've been on record on our show on being on 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 critique criticizing capitalism, so this must be yeah. very so. Creating an endowment at your church must give you all sorts of complicated feelings. It it very much does, and even just sort of my own retirement accounts. You know, I'm sort of like uh, I'm part of the system. Yeah, but this is how the system works. Um. So now I want to, I want to bless people, man. I want to create a community that blesses people. And in this world, it takes money to do it. Yeah. That's, I mean, when it, when it comes down to it, that's where my head is, is, is whether I like money or don't, isn't even the point. This is the way that our, this is the way. And obviously you could go into very dark places with that and make excuses for all sorts of things. We, and that's where, that's why it's an ongoing, it is complicated. Our relationship with money, Mm -hmm. our relationship with the church is complicated. 
I mean, and we're people, our, our relation, relationships are complicated. So, but we've got to go to those places and we got to get it wrong sometimes. We've got to try to figure out how to, how, how to just be authentic in our, in our following of Jesus. Genuinely, like, how does this, so I think, I mean, I think of the, the things in terms of that, like, how does this help us live into our vision of what we're trying to become as Jesus followers, yeah. right? That's, that's, um, and we're working on planned giving too. There are people who've put us in there. Um, this church, by the way, before I got here, like 15 years ago, was, was the recipient of a large bequest that completely changed the face of this church and was not expected. I mean, at all. There was no like, oh, when this person dies, this is going to happen. It was like, wait, what? Yeah, no, that's, we had yeah. like lawyers meet with us and they're like, we have some news for you. And yep. we were like, what? <laughs> yes, that, that literal thing happened here and it changed the life of the church. But I want to say to those who are, who are planning uh, uh, their, their estates, you know, I, and I have said to a couple of them, like, that could be you. I mean, maybe not on that person's level, but, but imagine that one gift changed the face of this church. What, what kind of, what are you capable of doing that, that, that you will know 25, 30, 40, 50 years from now, you're still affecting positively the life of the faith community that's been meaningful to you. Yeah. That's, that's a big deal. That is now, a huge deal. And now, now I do think that you don't want to create a situation where we're a kept a kept community that doesn't need to, you know, we don't worry about money. We don't think about money. The money should be used for the furthering of the mission. Right. And you should be financially responsible. And I, and I want people, I want people of all levels of income ability. I want people giving, as you said, I want people to give $5 a year to the church if they can. Like I, I it's not about, um, it is, it, it it is about each person's individual journey. And then it's about how we contribute to the community as a whole. It's, it's that whole big messy thing. Yeah. And well, and um, I was, you know, having talked, having newly been talking about money for the last kind of couple of years, just in my personal life and with, and with professionals and stuff. um, We're as boomers age and retire and die. We're looking at one of the greatest wealth transfers. Yes. Ever history of the world. the world and they're transferring their by the way they're transferring their wealth to a generation that doesn't go to church (laughs) so 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 i i think we we are i think the church in general uh is in big trouble like big big trouble in the next generation if we don't think completely differently about giving and about how we live i just i think we need to look at planned giving and i think we need to build up a new generation of people who's who wreck but who who are willing to give Mm -hmm. but 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 we do that by what Mireya said, we've got to create communities that are, that people find worth their while. Right. Yes. How does this gift, how does this church impact my life and the life of the people around me? Because if the answer is it does, this is a generation coming up that's willing to subscribe to everything. We have subscription services for our, all of the things that we watch for all yeah. the things that we listen to, but like, Subscription services are the way we live. And mm-hmm. now for me, my giving is like a subscription service. My, mm-hmm. The way that the Duvall family gives to the church, it comes out monthly. Every month, I, every month, just. <laughs> it's, a mem- it's, it's in my mind, it's, it, it's the same as a bill or a membership do. Mm-hmm. That sounds crude to some people. I don't feel like it's crude because I know what the church means to me and my family. And I yeah. know that that's the way that I can guarantee that I will be the most disciplined in my giving. Yeah, 
you know, it's really fascinating. I ran into this much more at my previous church and, and but a little bit at this, at this church as well, moving to kind of online giving. Um, of course, the pandemic sort of necessitated that yep. in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, but there was a real generational shift of people who just could not imagine doing anything except writing a check, putting it in the offertory plate, having it be, you know, brought up to the altar with the rest of the gifts. And, um, you know, I would kind of jokingly tell people, I was like, your gift isn't any less blessed because it doesn't get brought up to the altar <laughs> like, or it just gets transferred in a bunch of zeros and ones to, you know, the church's bank account. Mm. Like that's not, um, I understand the desire to have like a tangible yep. thing or a moment where you, you know, yeah. write out that offering. Uh, but it doesn't, I think for for my generation yeah. <laughs> and younger, the, the ease of giving is what is most important. Yep. Can I set up an auto yep. deduction? Can That's I amazing. Venmo you? Yeah. Can I, you know, <laughs> how, um, how do I give online? Right. How does it work? How do I what? give online? Yeah. Do, and I, one of the great, um, victories for me of the pandemic was that we had set up online giving like at the end of 2019. <laughs> so it was actually there and ready. Yeah. It was there and ready. I mean, we had no idea, of course, that the pandemic was coming, but um, that was a real game changer. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and still we had people that would write checks and send them in the mail. And yeah. like, that's fine too. Um, but that, that switch, there's just a real different relationship to money in younger yeah. generations than there is in older generations. And, um, you know, we were joking, like there's that joke kind of going around about like millennials are just Venmoing the same $20, like back and forth between each other. Right. Like, <laughs> and, um, but that kind of like commit, there is that kind of commitment and like sacrificial giving. Yeah. It's just much more in a kind of mutual aid sort of way than it is a giving to an institution. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's got to feel, they, they want to feel connected to their gift and they want to know that their gift makes a difference. And then, yeah, all of those pieces. Um, hmm. By the way, we stopped passing the plate at Redeemer. We still don't have a plate being passed around. Yeah. We just have it in the back of the church. Right yeah. That's now. what we're doing as well. And, um, uh, but, but to your point, when we went into lockdown in, in Mar March of 2020, um, our giving went way down because both because people were not putting it into the plate and there were people who put their pledges in the plate and they just were like forgetting. And I literally sent out a, I sent out a note to the whole congregation was like, Hey, guess what? Um, we need help because we're still employing everybody. We're all still working. Um, the church is yeah. still in your life and we're all trying to, and we're spending all extra time figuring out how to adjust from, from in-person to, to online and, and, and remote working, uh, worshiping, connection, Bible study, all the things that matter to us. We're, we're working double time to figure out how to make this transition now. And, and you're, you got, you got to keep giving. And they, they did like the, the response was immediate and fantastic, mm -hmm. but, but we had to remind people because there were a whole group of people who their way of giving was they came on a Sunday and yeah, they put the money. In. That like Pavlovian yeah. <laughs> the yeah. bell of the so It wasn't like they were with, withholding. Yeah. It was just, 
um, it was just different. By the way, a thing I wanted to say real quick is that um, when the idea of of the um, the person who says, "Well, I'm a major giver here, therefore I'm gonna, you know, uh, the, the I, I carry a big stick in this space or whatever." Um, the top givers in my church are the lowest maintenance people at my church. Mm. Now, I don't know if that's the case for every church. That might be the thing, but because yeah. they're the people who they're the people who not only have the capacity, but also just like they just appreciate what we're doing. Right. And they give a lot because they know that it matters to the church and that they, and that it, that it matters to them. So it comes from this place of like, it's beautiful. Like they, the people that are the biggest givers are also the people that I have the easiest, not the easiest of all, but easy relationships with, because I mean, they, their personalities, at least in this congregation, they're not, no one's trying to prove anything. And it is, yeah. and it is private. And, uh, and there's an, there's, and there's a, there's a, a consistent um, culture at this church of like, your money doesn't give you special powers. Yeah. We, we want you to contribute. And also this doesn't make you, um, uh, you don't get the special, like there's no like special key. There's no society. It's just, yeah. it's about, it's about your relationship with your community. Right. Yeah. I think what's really funny. I mean, and I think what is important to why it's important for sort of for clergy to know, um, who gives what is that I found myself very surprised at who gave a lot and who didn't give as much. And again, because the people who, um, a lot of the people who gave quite a bit, like never, uh, you know, we're not high maintenance. We're not, uh, yeah. demanding people. Um, just we're very, you know, gracious and generous yeah. givers and, um, you know, and we're quiet about it. And to your point, kind of, you know, if we were to do a, a capital campaign or if we were to do some yeah. kind of big uh, ask for a special project, knowing kind of who those people are, even if they're quiet about it, is is pretty critical to kind of meeting yeah. some of those goals. Now let's talk about, so in most nonprofits and churches tend to follow these, 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 uh, these percentages almost exactly. Uh, 80% of your, of your giving comes from 20% of the donors. Mm. So what about the other 80% of people who give yeah. 20%? <laughs> like, how do I, because I mean, the reality is there's a small number of people who give a large amount, but the vast majority of the way that we are able to uh, experience church the way that we do is not by these huge gifts. It's, it's by, um, right. um, it's, I mean, the huge gifts make a difference, obviously, but then there's the 80% of people who just give as they're able, and that's on a different capacity. How do we talk about this and not make it think, make it all about the big, the big giver? Like, because, because I, I like you said, I want, I want someone who gives $120 a year, you know, 10 bucks a month. I want them mm -hmm. to know that that matters to me and that it matters to the community. Yeah. I will say the people that I know who, um, or if, you know, let's say we get a new, a new person who's been attending church Yum. and when I see their name pop up on like this person gave, I'm like, oh, this, this person wants to make this community right. their home. That's the thing. Like, and it could be $10. It could be a hundred dollars. It could be a thousand dollars. I'm like, this person is putting their stuff, literally their money where their heart and their mouth is in terms of wanting to be a part of this community. Yeah. And, um, you know, and all of those little gifts add up. Like, oh, first of all, at the it end makes of the a day. huge difference. <laughs> it makes a huge difference. 
Every single gift matters. Every single person giving matters. And the thing you just said, when someone says I commit, I'm so excited about their commitment. I don't necessarily pay attention to the amount. Um, I do notice that someone increases or decreases year to year, mostly because I want to know, like, you guys okay? Is everything cool? Like, you know, like right. both in terms of your relationship with us, but also financially, are you guys doing okay? Like, I care about everybody's lives, you know, I want them to be okay. But by and large, when someone just says like, I'm in on Redeemer, I'm like, dude, this is awesome. I'm so happy. I, yeah. I, 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 that's the main thing is it really is about what people are, are, are able to do. And, and it makes a difference, you know? Um, I know, you know, here's the thing that always kind of comes up um, when people kind of talk about giving is that, you know, there's, they're giving to the church. And then a lot of my people, you know, give to a lot of other organizations too. They give to, um, you know, whatever, like the symphony or, uh, you know, food and hunger nonprofits or, you know, other kinds of organizations in the community and kind of how to, how to balance that giving if, okay, here's a question, I guess, for you. How do you feel about the tithe? Like that 10% number? I think it's bullshit. <laughs> I really do. By the way, Episcopalians don't believe in biblical literalism about anything until it comes to the tithe. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, 10% to the church, uh, which, uh, I mean, if we're going to get serious that, that, that 10% went to uh, more than just the church, it was to the whole community. It probably included taxes in some way. Um, and the, and the Levites who were the priestly tribe didn't pay anything. We lived off that. So obviously I don't believe in it because I give to the church. Right. <laughs> like I don't believe in the tithe the way it was instituted in the Bible because yeah. I actually pay to the church instead of just taking from. So, uh, and, um, I, I commit to giving, uh, sacrificially. Uh, and by the way, this is a new thought for me. Uh, I used to try to think, oh, I got to get to that 10%. It's completely arbitrary. Mm -hmm. And again, comparing the modern day church to the 12 tribes of Israel is right. uh, profoundly problematic on just a number of practical levels. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, if it means, I mean, I, I could get all you know funny about it and be like, oh, well, if it means this person increasing their giving, I am interested in people knowing what percentage of their income goes to the church. Yeah. I'm interested in you knowing that about yourself, right? Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm actually equally interested in knowing how much of your whatever net for the year are you giving away? That's right. Are you not? You, I would be yourself? more. I would be interested in if all of my congregation gave 10% of their of their earnings away, or more if they have it. I mean, if you're in a class of wealth where you can give away a large percentage and it doesn't affect you. I think, I mean, I think giving sacrificially matters. Yes. I think, I think giving in a way that impacts your budget actually is important to your life. But, but what if that 10% was to the church and all the other organizations that are, that are, that, that you care about or many of the other organizations that would make sense to me. And that would freak that right there. I know we have colleagues that'd be like, Whoa, like, yeah. You know. no, I'm, I'm in a very similar boat. Like that's, and that's kind of how I approach my own personal giving is a good portion of what I give goes to the church, but I also give to other organizations. Well, and I, I think, um, there's a, uh, there at, at two different churches, one that I, the one that sponsored me for ordination and then the previous church where I worked and I instituted this, we did something during our annual giving during the fall where on the front, you had your pledge to the church and on the back, you wrote down 
all the names of the other organizations that weren't the church to which you gave. Hmm. Not how much, da, 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 you just wrote them down. And then we made a big sign. Didn't say names of the people, just here are all the different organizations to which the people of this church contribute. Wow. And that we had it like on public display. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I would, that would just be fascinating. Just oh, see. it was very fascinating. I mean, you, and have also very, like, you have you have Amnesty International and mm-hmm. and uh, PETA and the NRA and Greenpeace uh, all side by side. Yeah, it, it, you know, so so there was that piece of it where people were like, "I'm not comfortable with that being there." I understand, you know, um, you know, like NARAL, you know, is right. I, I don't know if you say NARAL or what you say, but like yeah. <laughs> the, the the you know the reproductive rights organization side by side with side by side with the NRA. Like, there you go, like. This is our, these are the people who make up our church. And I had a, I had a, a, a bishop. I'm not, it won't say which bishop because I, I had multiple bishops in my previous diocese, but I had a, a bishop basically say that they, while they weren't going to stop me from doing it, they didn't like that because they wanted to encourage people to give 10% to the church and they didn't want to detract from the giving. This was a church. This was a diocese, by the way, that called it a tithe when the, when the, you know, we give our churches give to our diocese. Yes. They called that a tithe and then required 15%. And I was like, well, first of all, <laughs> let's talk about, let's just, let's just talk about how that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but anyways, hey, I have a question for you, Kira. Uh-huh. Actually, our friend Kathy has a question. Where do you fit into all this, uh, our giving to our diocese and our giving to our denomination as a church body? How do you, how do you feel about it? How do I feel about it? Um... You know, I don't know if I've mentioned on this show before, but my church has a notoriously uh, not great relationship with the diocesan offices and the bishop. Cool. And I have had- I, res- I respect to- that. <laughs> um, I, mostly along the uh, fault line of LGBTQ plus affirmation and blessing of same-sex relationships and marriages, uh, which is a good- as good of any of a fault line to, to stand on. Um, y'all's, y'all's church is on the right side of that fault line. So <laughs> congratulations. Um, so, you know, in, until fairly recently, there were a number of people who gave to the church, but did not pledge so that that amount would not go to um, our diocesan, what in our diocese is called our fair share ask. Uh, ours is called like a mission share. Yeah. It's like 10% of our budget, like our average budget over whatever we as a parish do budget to give a give out, (laughs) let me say, give out 10% of our budget. Yeah. Not all of that goes to our diocese. Yeah. And then the diocese takes whatever it is now, 16% or something. I, I forget what general oh. convention decides and to go to um, the national church. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. Five. yeah. So, um, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, to Maria's point, I want to say that I would feel better about giving to giving part of our parish's budget yeah. to the diocesan offices and subsequently to the national church offices. If I felt like we were getting anything for that money. 
Yep. <laughs> I I will uh, say I will say here I'll I'll I'm gonna take the heat off you for a minute. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm kind of old school, and I and in some ways, believe it or not, and one of the ways I'm old school is you give because you're supposed to give, and we should give to the to the diocese. And when I hear people say like, well, like I've heard people refer to it like as a tax, and sort of like talk about like how do we get out of paying more, and like what like like what's the what's the way? I say like, no, man, like we pay in, we pay in, right. yes. and our church is is a is a. a a church with, with, with resources. And, and um, so it makes sense for us to pay into the big body. Um, we're part of a bigger team. We're part of We're part of something. Yes. Just like yes. your, not just like your faith, your faith is not just about you. So you mm -hmm. give to your church. This congregation is not just about the congregation. How do we do this? Right. And Mireya right. says she, it feels to her sometimes like an expensive franchise fee. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that. Um, um, and, and Kathy said she's asking really like what, you know, really what should the diocese and the national church do with the money we send them? I mean, I think that's a big thing is we should pay in and then we should hold these, 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 these bodies accountable, not in a, not in a skeptical, cynical way, but in like a hopeful way. Um, um, our bishops take vows at their ordination as bishops that they will be pastors to the clergy in this diocese. We should hold our bishops accountable to being pastors to a group of people who need pastoring. Yeah. We need, think we need people to care for us the way that we care for our congregation and our bishops should do that. I have no problem paying a bishop's salary or a staff salary. I love overhead. I think I'm, I'm pro overhead. <laughs> pro overhead. I am, but I, but, but I wanna see that overhead uh, uh, manifest itself in healthy bodies that feel cared for and supported because the yes. strength of the Episcopal church is in the local bodies, the local, whether they be parishes, missions, whatever you want to call them, different mission stations and different kinds of uh, startups and different kinds of ministry things. Mm -hmm. The power is in that's, that's how people experience uh, Jesus in the Episcopal church. It's not very, it's very rarely through diocesan programming. So right. I want to see a diocese that is focused on caring for nourishing and empowering the different bodies. There's a, there's a, and I'm, I'm going to go off for one more second and then I'm going to hand okay. over to you, but there's, there's a, there's a, um, there's a, there's a, there's a Latino ministry, uh, a startup, a Latino ministry organization in Cincinnati that that's awesome. And a congregation that one of our friends, uh, like she planted this thing and made it, made it go that that organization as it stands is never going to be what we would call, um, self-funding or, or self-sustaining, so to speak it. I don't want them to feel the burden of having to be. I would right. love for my the money of our church to go to get, let's do it. Let the, the churches where they're in places that are never going to be self-sustaining, but they're doing amazing work. Like let's let just send the money there. But I'm not interested in our churches. I'm not interested in our money going towards um, just propping up a, a diocese that's not supporting its people. And I'm not interested in it, in it. And frankly, and this is the hard one, I'm not interested in it propping up churches that and keeping churches from dying that might need to die so that other things can emerge and resurrect. Yeah. Right? And now I'm, I'm off my soapbox. Okay. And I'm handing it to you. Yeah. So, I mean, to that point, I think there are actually practical things that I've seen some dioceses do to particularly support maybe smaller churches that aren't as well resourced. You know, I know there are dioceses that do all of the bookkeeping for their churches. Um, there are dioceses that have kind of web and internet support for uh, their parishes so that even small parishes, maybe they're older 
people that don't necessarily know how to build a website like that that is work that I really think dioceses can be doing to support the the ministry and mission of parishes in their communities that kind of frees up um, time and energy and and money for yeah. ministry on the ground rather than like who's going to build our website and keep it up to date and yeah. you know all this all this stuff yep. um so there are like real practical things that I think dioceses can do in addition to like yes there are ministries out there that need to yeah. be happening that are not necessarily self-supporting or may never be self-supporting yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we, in our diocese, for instance, we have St. Luke's community house, which is a great organization that provides all sorts of stuff from preschool to, um, you know, other things for, for people in their neighborhood that need those, um, resources. And like, I'm happy to give, yeah. you know, I, and I've had to break that down to my vestry and even to, um, you know, our budget and finance committee and kind of say like, I know you think that like our giving to the diocese, like somehow goes directly into the bishop's pockets, yeah. but it actually goes to like all of these different things. And you can yeah. look at our diocesan budget and see that it goes to, um, you know, St. Luke's community house. It goes yeah. to, uh, you know, the camp and conference center or whatever, yeah. like it, it and, it, and, it, and it goes to paying for the bishop's secretary and administrator that need to, like, you want your bishop to have those people. Yes. Like, <laughs> like that's not crazy, you know? Like, oh, not. do we have a commission on ministry and people who are going through the formation process to become priests? Do we want that to be well-organized? I always think it's funny people say they don't like organized religion. I'm like, so is it disorganized religion that we like? Like, I know, I was like, I, 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 I love organized my religion. religion were more organized. Right, right? Uh, organized religion <laughs> is the worst kind of religion except for all the other kinds. Yeah. <laughs> That's, um, um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm for it. I'm for giving to the bigger body. Um, you know, people some, do you, uh, do you believe in having a diocese? And I want to paraphrase Mark Twain and say, believe in it. Hell, I've seen it. You know, we have one. So I, w since we exist in that way, I'd love to see it be a really robust and powerful, uh, life-giving and, and, um, uh, health affirming, uh, uh, health right. of the thing. Um, theologically it's one of those things like paying taxes i'm totally on board with it like and i also hate to do it oh yeah like, but i want to see but mostly because i can like oh i could see that money going a lot of that comes from scarcity right mm -hmm. um i don't want to pay taxes because i think i need that but like um i'm really excited about having roads right and schools and know? like the fire department and parks yeah. and yeah. like <laughs> right and you don't have to have kids to want there to be good schools because you don't want the kids that aren't yours to suck. You like want right. them to be, you want good schools because you want the next generation of the world to be like not terrible. So you hope yeah. the schools are good. As somebody who does not have children, I don't right. understand people that say like, I don't have kids in school. Why should I have to pay like taxes that go to schools? I'm like, don't you want right educated people in your community <laughs> well it's, it's it we uh it just goes back to the, the word that keeps coming up for me and that i'm 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 just coming back to over and over and over again and this goes back to our very first premise when we're talking about giving um i believe that we are built for community that it's who we are as people and uh and i believe in the community that is the church that there are like the idea not just the idea the reality that there are so many communities all around there are country clubs, there are sports uh, affiliations, there are civic organizations, there are um, this, our sports club, you, you, the, your school, if you do have kids, you find out that's a community. And the, all these pieces, the church is not perfect by any means, 
the church, however, is founded on the premise that unconditional love is real and that every single person in the world is belonging and beloved. And we want to create a community that seeks to live into that belovedness and create a community that is a community founded, rooted and grounded in unconditional love. I believe in that premise. And so I will find ways to bring money into that community because I, where are the communities of unconditional love? Do we want to see them existing this side of heaven? I do. And so I'm going to do what I got to do. To, 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 I'm going to talk to people about it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to know what people give. I'm going to ask them. I'm going to talk about it in church. Um, not again, not because we're all about money, but we're also not like, it's also, we're also not like too cool to talk about it. Right. <laughs> right. Or we're fine. So don't worry about it. Yeah. No, um, I think we need to acknowledge that like money exists and pays for things that you like and in- want. In the words of, in the words of Homer Simpson's brain, money can be exchanged for goods and services (laughs) and the church needs to partake in goods and services. Mm -hmm. And we do that by exchanging money, much like you all do in your regular lives. Right. Um, Follow me for more tips. (laughs) Um, As you can tell, I freaking love talking about this. Um, uh, I really do. I don't, I, I'm always nervous Kira when we talk about money again, for all the reasons I've said that I never want people to think that it's about that. And I've, we've, and by the way, I think we've all met people and some of them clergy who really like, really are looking at what car you drive and really are treating people differently. Those people exist that, so, so we don't need to act like the, uh, that, that people's fear around that is a false fear. Like, right. If you are nervous about talking to me about money because you're worried I will treat you differently, you have every right to be worried about that because, because that's the way the world works. So you should be skeptical of me. It's, and frankly, I think it's up to me to prove to my, to my congregation that I love them enough that that's not the way that, that's not the way that I work. Because they're, we're in a world where they are treated differently based on their money. What, we have to prove that the church is different. Yeah. The other thing that I don't want to, um, the other thing that I don't want to say as a representative of the church is that like, you shouldn't have nice things. You should give that money to the church. Oh, right. Right. You know, um, that's not, nobody wants to like, kind of get nagged to death about it. Like, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, you know, you don't yep. wanna, um, just no, I, 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 this is where people. like people shouldn't feel guilty. I was talking to someone with resources because there was this text that we preached on last, um, uh, two weeks ago where yeah. about, about the rich man and, and the possessions and, and the guys like, like, is it bad that I like nice things? And I was like, actually, I don't think it is. Is it bad that you want to, like, I bought tickets to the symphony. Mm-hmm. Now that makes me a lot of things. Um, many of them undesirable, uh, but it doesn't make me bad for liking, like, I want to go hear beautiful music played. Like, right. You want to support that, a community organization yeah, right, that like right. puts something nice culture into the world. Into the world? Like, <laughs> right. Like that's good. Now I, now I also then want to hold that organization accountable to making sure it's accessible to people that aren't just like me. Yes. 
and thinking, and that's interesting, right? So the way I want to hold the diocese accountable, the way I want my congregation to hold me accountable, I don't think that if you give money, you should therefore be walking around deciding how things go, but I do want you to give money to the church and then care about what your church does. Yeah. You know, I'm going to mute while my, my, while my clock dings. Um, but all, yeah, all that to say, um, it's okay to like nice things. I think that gospel reading is really about our, uh, more about our attachment to things than it is about wanting to have nice things. Oh yeah. And it's about Jesus saying the one thing, like the, the person who comes to him with a loaded premise, I'm doing all the right things that I get to have heaven now. Right. So Jesus Mm -hmm. tells him to do the one thing he knows he can't do. I'm, I think it's really, and we want, this is a whole other conversation, but I think it's really, and I preached on it a little bit, but I think it's really telling that when Jesus says it's easier for a rich man to go through the, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to go to heaven. The disciples response is, well, then if rich people can't go, then who then gets who? to go? So what he's actually dealing with is that premise in their society, which is also in our society, that having more money makes you a better person. Yeah. Because their assumption is rich people have a better shot at heaven than poor people. That, that the assumption is built into their question. If not them, who? Then who? That means their, one, their assumption was that the rich people have an easier way, not a harder way. So that's a really fascinating thing to me. And Jesus' response is not only poor people go. His response is nobody. Mm-hmm. As in like, he's shifting the whole thing away from a meritocracy and away from you earning your way in into a grace-based economy, a, a grace, grace-based way of thinking about the world. And there's my Lutheranism popping up. Um, <laughs> before we go, Kira, I missed you terribly last week. Yes, I missed you too. But you had a good time um, on, your, on the show? I did. Good. Yes. Um, and... Next week, we're going to have a guest and we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about what it means to be a saint. We're going to talk about all saints, all souls. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about Halloween and talk a little bit about Dia de los Muertos. Yay. And we're going to have a special guest who's going to speak a little bit to that. Um, I I think we have confirmation on the guest, but I'm I'm only 99% sure. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to not say her name yet. Okay. But we will advertise that pretty soon. But Kira, what were you going to say? I was going to ask you what you've been listening to. I was going to ask you that. <laughs> um, thank you for asking. You're welcome. Uh, there's a new Brandy Carlisle album that's really good. There is a new Brandy Carlisle um, album. I mentioned it last week, actually. Um, um, you did mention it last week. Oh, you didn't. I didn't know that. But that's it's good. It doesn't yet have the one song or two songs for me that like blow my mind the way that the previous album did mm-hmm. but beginning to end it's a solid solid album and i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna dig in a little bit more and spend some time with it um i went and saw the rolling stones live that's right yes and uh so i've been listening to a lot of the rolling stones um listening to a lot of velvet underground and then i think i mentioned this a couple weeks ago but i'm not sure but i am i have never in my life have i 180 on a musician the way I've just done a 180 on a musician. Did not I tell you about like this? to like or like to not like? Um, actively saying, I hate that band. I will never listen to them. 
to now I've listened to one of their albums like three or four, like, no, I'd say like at least a dozen times or two dozen times in the last week. Is it the Eagles? It is not the Eagles. <laughs> um, I, I've gone from loving the Eagles to hating the Eagles to now just being like, they're fine. I, I don't, they don't, they don't, they don't bring up like anger for me. Okay. I'm just like, okay. It's the Electric Light Orchestra. Oh. Yellow. Yellow. I was like, oh, yellow, they're so dumb, blah, 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 blah. Now I'm like, they're brilliant. And I was a <laughs> jerk. I haven't felt like this since, uh, since ABBA. Mm, ABBA, yeah. I was too cool. I remember that. It's the bands that I was too cool for. As I get older, I'm just not too cool for anything, it turns out. <laughs> You know, letting go of having to be too cool for stuff is a it's real, a, it's a spiritual it, practice. It's a balm. It's proof of sanctification. It really is. It really is. It really is. Being like, I don't, people are like, that's not cool. I could, couldn't possibly care. Yeah. ELO, uh, Kira, I want you to listen to this album of theirs. Do you know them at all? I mean, you know, like a couple of their songs. Yeah. Like I know that they're a thing. Check out the, I'm going to, I'm going to pull up the album so I get it right. Okay. Um, it's called Out of the Blue. Out and from beginning blue. to end, it is fantastic. Also, I'm going to be digging in because there is a new super deluxe box set, two, two and a half hours of, of outtakes from Let It Be. And there's a new documentary coming out about the making of Let It Be that's created by Peter Jackson, taking all the found footage from 1968 and 69. I'm going to be digging into that. Nice. Because I'm a Beatles fan. Yes. E-L-O, Kira. E-L-O. Out of the blue. What about you? Um, so I went to see Jason Isbell at the Ryman on Friday night and um, have been in just a real Jason Isbell. <laughs> I mean, anytime you see someone at the Ryman, you got to be in that mood after that forever. Yeah. Well, and Jason Isbell does like, I mean, him and his wife, Amanda Shires live in Nashville. So they do yes. like a residency at the Ryman every yes. year or so, where they do like eight, eight nights. Yes. Um, and I was there for the first night and, um, just, I mean, he's a great performer. It was a great concert. Amanda opened, um, and just, just a really all around great. I mean, great songs. Yeah. Like, yeah. I I don't know. I, Jason Isbell is one of those people where like, I have friends that are like really huge fans of Jason Isbell. And I'm always like, yeah, like I like him. Um, yeah. But there he's, he's written some really good songs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about, I was telling my husband, I was like, I think my dad would like Jason Isbell. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I need to get into him. He's a guy that everyone knows what I like, says mm -hmm. I would love Jason Isbell, and I've never spent any time with him. And I'm, and it's not because I certainly not because I'm too cool. Yes. He hangs out with all the people I like. I mean, like he and John Prine were pals, right? He's friends yeah. with Randy Carlisle. Yeah. He's like, I get it. I just, I just haven't listened. And I've got to, I've got to get in. So yes. So I'm gonna dig he, it. Maybe you're um, my, maybe you're my in. Maybe you, maybe mm -hmm. you're the where do I maybe. start? Where would I start? Um, so I would start with the song, Cover Me Up, if you're okay. not familiar with it. Okay. 
and also my favorite song is um if we were vampires i will check it out are they on the same album i you know i like albums i like albums but maybe i'll just listen to some single songs yeah definitely the nashville sound is um the album that i would recommend to start with okay cool okay fantastic but i mean he really writes okay here's the thing as a woman that I really love about Jason Isbell is like, he is a total wife guy. Like he loves his wife Yeah, and it's very like, it's evident musically. It's evident musically. Um, it is evident when they are on stage, like he's probably like, he's more famous than she is. Yeah. And yet when they share a stage, like he will just like disappear. Like you, like, to give her the spotlight yeah. in a way that is um, just really yeah. beautiful. And like, that doesn't happen if you don't like believe in the person that you're yeah. like supporting. 100%. 100%. I totally buy that. I can't wait. And, and because I make everything about Gillian Welch, uh, when you see them live at some point and you watch him and da- her and David Rawlings together, they're not technically married, but they've been together for like 30 years now. Yeah. Um, watching them on stage is like, it's a particular joy. Not just because of how talented they are, because of how clearly they adore and respect each other as mm-hmm. people and artists. And so yes. like watching them each fade back on each other um, and just allow the other person to take center and do the thing and then watching them take joy in each other, you're mm-hmm. like, come on, this is great. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm going to check out Jason Isbell. You've got me. I'm on it. I'm going to okay. go get the car and drive and I'll make that happen. We will see you all next week. Once again, this is Are You There, God? It's Kira and Phil. And I'm Kira. And I'm Phil. And it's good to be with you all. Take care. See you next week.